Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. And make sure there's only a few days left to register for the annual What People Want From Work survey. This is a free employee engagement survey that Zenium runs every year. It's a huge value add to both clients of Zenium and to anybody that wants to participate. It's free to sign up, free to participate. And in the end, you get a free report and there's options to buy up to other types of reports, but it's a great opportunity to just get a pulse check on what your employees want out of the workplace and make sure to sign up by September 1st. You got a couple days left. Link is in the show notes. All you have to do is send out an email with the instructions to your employees and Zenium handles the rest. By November timeframe, you'll get a free report with all of the data. So make sure to sign up for that. Okay, today's episode I'm really excited about. I had Tiago Forte on the show. He's the author of Building a Second Brain, a proven method to organize your digital life and unlock your creative potential. This episode is all about productivity. I'm a productivity nut and I've used (laughs) countless tools and often will switch up my process. But Tiago's got a great model and a framework for how to, what he calls building the second brain, which is, basically putting everything, all of your ideas, all of your thoughts, all of your notes into the second brain, and then you analyze it and you do something with it in the end. And he's got an entire framework around that. So every level of employee is going to get something out of this episode from contributor level employee all the way to up to senior leader. I think you're going to find that you implement some of these things, you'll be way more effective in the long run and we'll all be better for it. I hope you enjoy this interview with Tiago. I really enjoyed it. This His book is very popular, by the way, so I recommend picking up the book if you really enjoyed this interview. Make sure to connect with me. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn. I'd uh, love to connect with people there. Enjoy today's episode with Tiago Forte, the author of Building the Second Brain. Tiago, it is a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here, Brandon. You've built an entire framework around building a second brain. It's your book, A Proven Method to Organize Your Digital Life and Unlock Your Creative Potential. First off, what is a second brain? Tell me about that. Yeah, let's get into it. So a second brain is what I call a system. It's a system where you preserve and store all of your most important information. And by information, I mean your thoughts, reflections, things you've learned, things you've discovered, information from external sources, quotes from books, highlights from articles you've read, quotes from podcasts, Uh, They can be images you saved, uh, bookmarks from the web, screenshots, photographs, really anything that you've decided you want to not just preserve and keep over time, but you want to reflect on, you want to process and really analyze and understand, all for the purpose of creating some kind of external impact, 
whether it's advancing your career, growing a business, starting a business, creating content, or really just understanding yourself, the world, uh, making better decisions, having a greater sense of meaning and purpose from just understanding the information and the content you're encountering in your life. So if somebody were to kind of just step back and look at like, why would I even want to create this second brain? What would you tell them the reasons for having such a, a model in place? Like what is it going to do for them long term? Yeah, this, this is almost a challenge because there's so many different kinds of benefits that you can realize depending on what you're looking for and, and how you go about this. I'll kind of touch on it in three groups for content creators or anyone creating, even if it's within an organization, uh, a slide presentation, a meeting agenda, a report, an analysis, a website, a event plan, a project plan, anything. If you are regularly creating anything, publishing anything, you need a kind of it's like a storehouse of creative raw material. And the benefit of that is when you sit down, you know, before that terrifying blank page or blank screen or blank canvas, instead of trying to come up with a good idea, which is always terrifying, <laughs> it's almost like when we used to play with Legos as kids. First thing you do is you dump out all the Legos and then you just kind of like pass your hands over the Legos looking for pieces that you can start to combine together. It just makes creativity much more easeful, much more sustainable, much more fun. Tiago, where did this idea come from? Did it stem from just an idea that you had, uh, a problem that you're trying to solve? Where did it come from? Yeah, it really started way back over a decade ago with the need to manage a chronic medical condition. I had this unexplainable kind of pain and tension in my throat and my neck. And I just had to, I was just forced at a, you know, in my early twenties to just manage all this paperwork and forms and insurance stuff and different doctors, different specialists telling me different things, some of which was contradictory and, you know, trying experiments, changes to my, my diet and my self-care and my routines it just became this kind of personal science project. And I first started using digital notes and you know, organizing all this information digitally because it was just way too much to do on paper. And then over time, I, I kind of got that same approach of gathering and making sense of information. And I applied it first to my college studies, uh, graduated with honors, which wasn't something that I typically did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I used the same approach to apply for the Peace Corps and uh, serve as an English teacher for a couple of years. Then I applied the same approach to come back to the U.S. and get my first professional job. And then later to start a blog and then later start a business. So basically over the course of a decade, I just used the same trick, <laughs> the same system to solve one challenge after another. And eventually, after a long time, realized that many other people could benefit from the same kind of system. Have you been able to teach other people how to use this framework and how, like, what are they saying about how it's working for them? Yes, I've been so fortunate to teach so many people. I mean, that's the power of the internet. First on my blog, which receives over a million visitors a year, kind of how it started way back in 2014 or so. But then the past five years, uh, I've taught a course. It's an online course that I teach live over Zoom to large groups of people from all walks of life, all kinds of different professions and fields. Over 5,000 people have taken that course from, I think, 100 countries. And then most recently, a book. I turned all that knowledge and experience into a published book, which is now out in the US and the UK and soon a bunch of other countries. So this is why I have the confidence to say it's a proven method. It's worked for many thousands of people. And I believe it's really something that people all over the world can benefit from. Yeah, the 
book goes into great detail about <laughs> this entire framework. So I want to encourage listeners to go check it out for sure, because we'll, we'll cover high level in this podcast, but there's so many great details about like what to do, what tools to use, all that stuff. But if we're just kind of looking at a 30,000 foot view, how does it work? I mean, I, I get the fact that, you know, I need to document notes, I need to store files, I need, like and create a tagging system. But like, if you were to just advise somebody like myself, who has a lot of information that I'm consuming and need to organize, like, where do I even start? Yes, it's such a good question. It's such a good question, because there's a big pitfall here that a lot of people who are into organizing things, or who enjoy organizing things can fall into, me included, which is you start to sort of collect you become an information collector without really any particular purpose in mind, right? You don't really know where it's all going. And the problem with that is information collection can very easily turn into information hoarding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and at that point, you become basically like the, the house hoarders that you see on TV, except in a way it's worse because you don't have the physical limitations of the square footage of your home to rein you in. You can just buy more hard drives and pay for more cloud storage and essentially hoard information forever. And so the way that I help people kind of constrain that or rein it in is to simply ask, and this is to answer your question, this is really how you want to start. Create a folder or a tag or whatever organizing method you use for each of your active projects. Most people, in my experience, have somewhere between like 10 and 20 projects that they're working on at any given time. So create a folder or a notebook or a tag or whatever it is for each active project. And then as you're going about your daily life, you're encountering information in email, on the internet, in meetings and conversations from content you're consuming. When you save something, just ask, in which project will this be most useful? You don't have to know exactly how. Often it's kind of unclear how it's going to be useful, but just look at this very short list, no more than 10 or 20 items and say, which of these folders should I put this piece of information into? Then later on, when you go to work on that project, whenever that happens to be, the first place you look, don't open up a blank screen, don't just like stare off into space, just look in that folder where you will have saved a small collection of pieces of information related to that project and ask yourself, how do I want to move this forward? That's how it all starts. What tools should we be using to collect all this and, and to organize? Is there a particular software, a, a device? Like where, do, where does somebody like start with this? Yeah, so you really want to use a particular kind of app, which is a digital notes app, uh, which I sometimes just call a notes app. And the reason for this is, you know, you could use something like Microsoft Word, you could use Google Docs, you could use like a database, but those tools tend to be kind of too formal. They're too sophisticated in a way. They have too many features, which just kind of gets you caught up in which features to use. Not only that, but notes are this particular kind of way of interacting with information where they're casual. They're, they're just these little things you're jotting down. They're very free form. They're very open-ended. You often don't know, like you don't know what the final form of this is going to be. You're just kind of just noting something down. And notes apps are the perfect medium for this. They are accessible on any device. Often notes are things you write down on the go right? You don't have your computer in front of you. They don't require you to like input it in a very particular way, which would just add a lot of friction to your note taking. They're really just like the digital equivalent of like a journal or, you know, leather bound notebook you would carry around with you. And I actually, if, if you're interested or your, your listeners are interested in which notes app to use, which is always the question I receive, <laughs> I have on my YouTube channel right at the top, I think it's like a playlist 
a four-part series that we've created, which is like the most popular thing on our YouTube channel, which is a series of four short videos where I take you through this kind of personalized process of choosing among the dozens of different note-taking apps that you can choose from. Uh, the one that's right for you based on your your needs, your goals, and kind of like your personality when it comes to taking notes. I'm sure I'm not alone in, in this, and I've, hopefully you can advise me a little bit. So I've got a remarkable tablet where I, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's actually kind of like handwriting notes, but it, it stores in the cloud. I use one note on my computer. I've got a, a physical notebook. I use my voice memos on my phone. Like So all these different places where I'm like, taking notes in the moment. And I know that's a little crazy, but is there a way in which I should take all of that and formalize some sort of organization method? And I, I know you have a framework around this. Maybe walk me through how that could work. Yes, absolutely. The methodology that I talk about in the book, which I think is important, is code. Mm -hmm. And what code provides is a direction, right? It's so easy to have this big elaborate file system where you, you, know, you have categories and then subcategories and then sub-subcategories. But what code does is it kind of gives people this framework that information comes in one end, right? It's, it's kind of like a production line. It's like a factory. Yeah. It comes in one end. It's sort of random. It's unfinished. It's unrefined. It's sort of messy, right? And that's capture. The, the C in code is just, you, you have to write it down. You have to put it down in some digital format. But then that's just the beginning, it doesn't just go in some, you know, filing cabinet to die. <laughs> it's meant to evolve and be developed to the next stage, which is organized. And that's where you add some structure. You kind of put it into the different projects that you're working on. But then that's also not the end. That would also just be like sticking something in a filing cabinet. The next step, which is the one that people most often miss, is distill. Distill is an important, crucial step in note-taking where you're revisiting notes you've taken in the past and you're deciding through a simple tool such as highlighting, like making a text bold or yellow, what is the most important points? It's just straightforward process of saying, these are the most important takeaways, the most important lessons, the action steps, whatever it is for a given note. And just highlighting those passages or those points so that they're more visible. And then finally, the fourth step, which is kind of the point of all this, is express which is taking these building blocks of knowledge, which is how I think of notes, and using them in your communication. That's what this really all comes down to is we're all professional communicators now, right? We're communicating something to someone to produce some kind of impact or some kind of result. Well, how do you get better at communicating, right? It's having better inputs, better research, examples, metaphors, data points, stories, you know, all this kind of supporting material, the supporting evidence that then becomes part of your communication. That's the code methodology. And by the way, that's what links together all these tools. You're never going to have one app, even a digital notes app that does everything. Mm. You're going to have dozens. Yeah. Well, how do you use dozens of different pieces of software productively? What kind of links them all together is this overarching step-by-step -step workflow that brings new ideas all the way from consumption to creation. It does seem to me that uh, of the code method, the, the last two steps, most people are probably uh, not doing. They're not distilling it and they're not using the information they've collected for some sort of end game. Do you find that it makes sense to prioritize that, build it into a schedule? Like, I, I mean, often I don't go back to my notes unless I, there's a reason behind it. But how do you build those steps into your process? Yes, it's such a good point. I think often we need accountability of some form. 
You know, this can be anything from uh, signing up. There, there's these different venues where we can sh- kind of show our work. Like the classic examples, like an artist. If you're an artist, you know, painting away, toiling away in your studio, but you never show your art to anyone, right? You, you never invite anyone into your gallery. You never display your work in a store or in a gallery or in a museum or in an art show or anything. It's kind of like, okay, maybe it's personally, you know, enjoyable for you, but it's not impacting anything or anyone outside of yourself. And that example comes to mind because my dad was an artist. My dad was a painter, is a painter. And those were these moments that I would just witness how important that was for him. You know, he'd spend months in his, we had a studio in our backyard growing up. He would just be toiling away on these paintings, never knowing if they were actually good, if people actually liked them. But then every six months or so, he'd have an, a gallery opening. We'd all go down to this little, you know, local gallery and he'd invite all our family and friends and collectors and different things. And it was just this kind of like public celebration of his work. Today, we have something called the internet <laughs> where you can, quote unquote, show your work as often as you want, as publicly as you want, as you're willing to do in any format or medium you can imagine with a few clicks of a button. And that's really what I encourage people to do is Take notes. Yes, that private process is important, but as early and as often as you are comfortable with, as you're willing to do, put it out there and the feedback that you receive, even if that's just people's eyes lighting up or them saying, okay, I like this part, but not that part or telling you what's missing is going to be that feedback is the best learning that you can possibly have. Give me an example. Uh, so let, let's take the smartest people in the world. Let, let's say like a Nobel Prize winner, for example. And, you know, their work is prized at the end. But you know that there were so many inputs that went into whatever, you know, the finished product was. What did they do using a framework like yours? What what have they done throughout the way to make sure that they got to the the end goal that they were seeking? Yeah, you know, in my book, I I actually mention a number of, um, I think historical examples are crucial. Just ask, okay, someone whose work ended up being really important and who we know just from the past was prolific and was impactful. What did they do? It's like the whole idea here is to not reinvent the wheel. Well, what did they do in the past? Like just what worked? And it's kind of amazing. It takes a little digging because often there will be a creator or an artist or a writer such as, I don't know, John Locke, right? Basically like revolutionized our understanding of philosophy and human nature. (laughs) He was one of the, the huge proponents of a commonplace book, but it's not the thing he's most known for, obviously right? Like it's, it's a footnote in his body of work is how he made a commonplace book. I have an example of Francis Ford Coppola, how he used a, essentially a commonplace book, which is just a, a book where you keep all these ideas and insights as a private kind of collection of knowledge. Um, he used one to create the Godfather. Taylor Swift has one on her phone digitally, which she really depends on to write her songs. The sci-fi writer Octavia Butler relied heavily on a commonplace book for her sci-fi writing. You actually go through history and realize most people, if not everyone, who produced prolific, really great work had some semblance. Often it looks very different or it's not digital or it was kind of messy, which is fine, but they had had some kind of system behind the scenes. It wasn't just that they were geniuses or that they were just purely brilliant. They had some kind of practical system for turning their information consumption they're reading into their work. 
So I think of somebody like a like a Taylor Swift, for example, and she's probably capturing notes and maybe lines that she wants to use in a future song. But, you know, documenting it and collecting all that information is one thing, but recalling it for actual use or, or even to just organize it, that's a whole nother ballgame. Like, what is the best way to recall information that you've saved? And it could be years down the road that you might use it for a work that you're working on right now? Yes, this is really the million dollar question. <laughs> it's actually become easy to save things. You can bookmark a web page. You can hit uh, save to camera, save image on your phone. You can favorite a social media post. You can highlight an ebook. It's, it's effortless. And, and organizing is pretty straightforward. You can move things around, but it's the retrieval that is really the, I'd almost say in the evolution of technology in general, is the bottleneck. As a civilization, this is the problem we are working on. And what I would say is, first of all, there's no one perfect ultimate solution. Uh, if there was, we would probably, probably half our jobs would be obsolete. Uh, instead, think of it, I almost have people think of how they work with Google. Think of how retrieval works on Google. If you had to make a checklist of how you use Google, what would it look like? It would be kind of random. Like think about what you do. You open a tab, you do a search, you kind of quickly scroll down the page, see like what kinds of things come up, but then you realize, oh, I didn't quite search the right thing. So you open a new tab, do a new search, scroll down the page, click on one of the links, kind of quickly browse it, go back, do a slightly different search. You're kind of cycling between searching, browsing, reading in this kind of cycle, this kind of iterative process of discovering what's there, refining your search, and then trying again. Uh, and that is exactly what people do with their second brains. It's the same process. You use a combination, and I talk about this in the book, of searching, which is very powerful. If you do a search in something like Notion or Evernote, because you've previously decided to keep everything that's in there, right? It's not searching the entire internet. It's searching things you have personally curated. What that means is every single result is usually pretty interesting. Like it's something that's relevant and meaningful. So you use searching. You also use browsing. Right? Sometimes you just need to kind of like look through a list of things or look through different folders, project folders, area folders, what I call resource folders. So it's a combination of searching, browsing, and also just serendipity. There's this kind of luck that happens when you keep a collection of very succinct notes all in one place. You start to just kind of see them juxtaposed together or you see two notes next to each other and you notice some kind of connection or some kind of association. It's not something you can exactly plan for, um, but just by keeping it all in one central place, you just kind of can explore and move through this playground of ideas in a very spontaneous, almost playful way uh, that is not possible in any other place. There, there's probably a, a great benefit to finding some sort of tagging system or even use of keywords throughout the content that people are saving? I mean, based on what you're describing with like searching and being serendipitous in a lot of ways, like having keywords and tags probably makes a lot of sense. Do you encourage people to do something like that? I do. Yeah. I have an approach to tagging that I recommend, but here's the thing. I think it's an advanced strategy. I think tagging is not essential when you start and really not for a long time. And not only is it not essential, it's kind of dangerous. Not dangerous, but it, there's, there's a pitfall here, which is, you know, tagging requires some serious effort. You have to look through each note and decide what are all the things this is related to, all the things it could be connected to, what are all the themes that it falls within, which is very energy intensive. You know, making decisions 
is one of the most energy intensive things we do. Forcing ourselves to make multiple decisions about each and every note, it's like a serious mental cost, right? It's, it's, it's very cognitively expensive. And so for years, I recommended people wait just kind of capture things, organize them loosely. Later on, once you're looking at this kind of critical mass of, of real notes, then you can decide the tags that make the most sense. Because it's only then, once you have this collection of real notes, that you'll know what matters. Like, what are the main categories? What are the main themes? Rather than essentially forcing yourself to put in all this energy and effort up front, wait until later on until it's actually, you know, it's actually clear what the tagging should look like. I think for for most people who are probably listening to this, they're thinking, gosh, I know I need to do something. And I I really want to know from the the best and the brightest out there, you know, what are their habits? Like the best CEOs or the, the smartest authors that are out there, like what are they doing on a regular basis to just capture information, whether it's something that inspires them or a note or a thought that comes to mind and they just want to jot it down. Like what are the habits that they do on a regular basis that people who are listening can start doing something like that? Gosh, that is a great question. I don't think anyone has asked that before. I feel like that is exactly where to start. You can like read, there's like academic journals on personal knowledge management. You know, you can read these very abstract scientific studies, but you know, note-taking is not science. You know, it's not like astronomy or physics or chemistry where you're trying to find like the truth, the most accurate scientific fact. Note-taking, it's more like it's this just personal process of of enrichment and making order and meaning out of the world and understanding yourself, simplifying the things you're working on so that they don't require so much mental effort. And so where I would really look is just who do you admire? Like you just said, who do you admire? Who is clearly without doubt producing unusually great work? And they just do what they do. (laughs) (laughs) I wish more people would think like this. It's kind of like so obvious that people don't think of it. (laughs) Right. Well, and what comes to mind, I'm like, okay, yeah, even if I could think of the smartest person that's out there, like, what are they doing? Like, I have no idea, like what they're doing on a personal basis, like, you know, from a habitual standpoint, are they waking up and they've got a journal next to them, and they're just jotting down ideas? Like, what, what do you what do you think that they're doing? Yeah. And you know what, they don't even know. (laughs) I'm serious. They don't even know. I've talked to, this is one of my, my long-term pursuits. I ask people who are well-known for their productivity, their creative output, and they'll often be a combination of just, they don't even realize what they're doing. Oh, interesting. Right? Like, yeah. like you'll point out, oh, hey, I, I noticed you just like switched over to this app and you just wrote down a note. What was that? And they'll be like, oh, well, that's, that was nothing. You know, I just, oh, I, this is just something I do. But they don't realize the genius contained in that little tiny habit. Yeah. Or often, to be honest, they're often slightly embarrassed. <laughs> that's incredible. Because their note-taking is, and it, it, this is how it should be, it's informal. It's messy. It is sort of idiosyncratic. It's this sort of casual little shortcut that they've just spontaneously come up with or maybe learned from someone else. Uh, We actually have a video that we just published last week that's our most successful video ever, where I sat down in person with a YouTuber. His name is Ali Abdal. He's one of the most successful YouTubers of the past few years. He's built a 3 million person YouTube channel. And we just sat sit down in front of his computer and I walk through with video footage and screen share footage of the different ways that he takes notes and captures information. And it's exactly what I've been describing. It's messy. It's a little bit random. It's a little bit chaotic. 
But by the time it gets to the end where he's actually creating a video for his channel, all of that insight and information has been funneled toward a concrete result. And that's what actually matters. I would actually say if your note taking is too aesthetically pleasing, if it looks beautiful and it looks so impressive and nice, you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> oh, I, I love hearing this because I mean, even breaking it down for the people who are listening to this, this podcast, a lot of them are leaders and I don't want them to get paralyzed by just thinking their notes have to be perfect or that there's got to be some perfect system. And what I hear you saying is that notes are great when they're spontaneous and, and messy. And at some point, we might be able to recall those. And we don't even need a tagging system. We just might stumble upon it at some point and use it to produce work in the end. Is that kind of what I hear you saying? Yes, you know, I've I've done a lot of executive coaching and it's funny, you know, I'll sit down with a with an executive or a leader or a CEO. If I'm working with a CEO who has in many cases founded a huge business, has hundreds or thousands of people in the organization, I'm not going to sit down with them and be like, "Okay, um you need to stop what you're doing and just sit here in front of your computer and just take much more meticulous detailed notes of things." <laughs> right? Like that's, that's not how it works. Such a person is in the top 0.1%, 0.01% of performers. They're, they're a high performer. I'm not going to try to change what has got them to where they are. But I mean, let's take a concrete example. What is a kind of content that such a leader could create? They're probably not going to go, you know, and write something for the blog about the product. But think of something like, like a letter to the organization, right? This has become a common practice. Uh, you know, Jeff Bezos writes his, his shareholder notes. A lot of CEOs and executives will go on Medium and write a, you know, a piece. Now, imagine you're going to write a letter to your organization. That's incredibly powerful. Imagine if more leaders just sat down and just wrote down their thoughts to the people that they lead. It's clearly just a great use of time. But now what's needed to make that happen? You can't just sit. No creator can sit in front of a blank screen and just come up with stuff. You need supporting material. So for someone like that, it might be, you know, a, an anecdote that they heard from talking to someone who reports to them. It might be a one customer success story. It might be something that they're noticing in the economy, or like a data point. It might be a, a trend that they're noticing in their reading. Like there might just be five or six or seven specific points that if they can draw those in and incorporate them into their writing, suddenly that writing becomes not just, oh, what I thought about this morning off the cuff. It becomes this rich story, this narrative that honestly will inspire people. It'll inspire them to action. It will put them on the same page and align them with you. At the very least, it will kind of make your thinking more transparent to the people in your organization, which is, I think, a critical part of leadership today. Tiago, this has been such a fun discussion, just so enlightening for me. Your book is called Building a Second Brain, a Proven Method to Organize Your Digital Life and Unlock Your Creative Potential. Any like parting thoughts or um, anything that you want to mention to people in terms of connecting with you or checking out your work? Yes, you can find everything at buildingasecondbrain.com. Um, I have a podcast. 
uh, have a lot of content on the blog, a YouTube channel, and now, of course, a, a book, uh, which you can find in most retail outlets. Uh, lots of ways to engage, but I just encourage people, if anything that I've said resonates with you or could be useful to you, check out whatever form of, of content uh, most suits your needs. My guest today has been Tiago Forte. Tiago, thank you for being part of the podcast. So fun to talk with you. Thank you so much, Brandon. I really appreciate it.